Hey folks, this podcast goes beyond the saddle as we explore professional careers across the equine industry. I'm your host, Katie Kleinbell. Let's tack up and head out. Award-winning freelance equestrian photojournalist Nancy Jaffer produced a weekly horse sports column for the Star Ledger of New Jersey for 43 years. It was the largest paper in the country to feature such a weekly column about the equestrian scene, in addition to Nancy's event coverage from competitions around the world. Nancy covered nine Olympics, every World Equestrian Games since they began in 1990, and standalone show jumping world championships in 1982 and 1986. She has also written about more than 20 World Cup finals in show jumping and dressage, and reported on the National Finals Rodeo a number of times. After her work with the Star Ledger wrapped up, Nancy started her own website. She continues to freelance for various websites and publications, including Practical Horseman and Horse and Hound. She has several books to her credit, including Riding Through with Debbie McDonald, and edited the U.S. Equestrian Team Foundation's Ride for America and Riding for the Team, which came out in 2019. Nancy, thanks so much for joining the podcast today. Oh, it's a pleasure, Katie. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, before we started our interview, I asked you to prepare two truths and one lie so we can play our game. So I'm going to have you go ahead and read those three statements in any order, and I'm going to try to guess which one's your lie. Okay. In connection with my job covering horse shows, I have interviewed Bruce Springsteen, Robert Duvall, and William Shatner of Star Trek fame. Ooh, Oh my gosh, what a list. Okay, I'm going to say, I think William Shatner is involved with Rainers. So I'm going to say that the lie is you have not interviewed Springsteen. Wrong. The thing is, I didn't give you any lies because a journalist shouldn't lie. A journalist should always tell the truth. You know, credibility is a very important thing if you're going to be writing about people and they're going to be trusting you with what they have to say. So those are all true. And I think it's a great example of who you meet in the horse world. There are some very exciting personalities out there. And Bruce's daughter, Jessie, um, has done very well over the years. And I have spoken to him actually several times, but one time where it was a little bit longer was after she had won the McClay finals. And uh, he had a lot to say about what it took to do something like that. And he's a big admirer of the horse world. And it was very interesting to interview Robert Duvall at the Hampton Classic. Now, he's one of my favorite actors. I think you'll probably remember him as Tom Hagen in The Godfather. Yeah. <laughs> my favorite role and his favorite role was talking about he was in Westerns, Lonesome Dove. That was a series on TV years ago. And and he loved that character, Augustus McRae, too. So it was pretty neat that we, we had a real meeting of the minds by the time we were through. Uh, he is a little bit tetchy, shall we say. You know, he's an older guy and uh, he probably gets a lot of people uh, flocking around him. So uh, he was hesitant about doing the interview. But when we sat down and talked and he saw that I really understood the sport and I wasn't just after him for his celebrity, he opened up and told me about his horses and, you know, accidents that he'd had uh, filming various shows because he's done a lot of cowboy things. Uh, and it was just it was a really neat experience. 
So I met William Shatner at Madison Square Garden, which is where the National Horse Show used to be held. And they had saddle horses there at that time. And he was a big saddle horse guy. And he was really wonderful. And I asked him if I could talk to him about his horses. And of course, he didn't really want to talk too much about Star Trek. But uh, he was very polite, very nice. We walked across the arena together when it was empty. And he told me about all his horses. And he loved them so much. I mean, there was a, a genuine love of horses in him. And I've talked to some celebrities who have horses who really, you know, the horses there is sort of an accessory, uh, the way perhaps a bracelet or a nice scarf would be. But he really loved those horses. And he was very friendly and very warm and a little bit different than, than what you see of him on the screen because I know he's had so many roles where he's got kind of an edge and he had no edge at all. And he was very polite and, and very friendly. I really enjoyed that. Bruce Springsteen, Robert Duvall, William Shatner. What a star-studded list. I just, and I'm sure you have more, but that I, you picked great ones. <laughs> I, I do. I'd have to go back and, and, and see everything, but it's been nice to be able to talk to these people and find out sort of what they're really like. And all three of those were very genuine. Very cool. Oh my gosh. What a list. There are some amazing people in the industry and you crack me up. I, I love that, that you put your own twist on two truths and a lie. That gives us a flavor of some of the amazing people you've gotten to talk to. But Nancy, I'd love to know, can you tell us what is your job? I am an equestrian photojournalist and a freelancer, which means that I write for various magazines and websites and uh, take photos for them too. And it's, uh, you know, I work for myself, which is great because for many years uh, I worked for a newspaper and I kind of had to do what they wanted. So this way I can uh, go to the shows that I want to go to and meet the people I want to meet and tell the story so people can really share in what I've been able to enjoy. Can you walk us through what a typical day sort of looks like for you in that role? There are no typical days. It depends on which show you go to or which competition you go to. Um, and some of them I go to just to do feature stories on various uh, competitors. Others I go to in order to write about the event itself and who won and who lost and all of that. That has become less important recently because of the live stream. But I do find that people, even though the live stream is available, don't have time to sit there and watch hours and hours and hours of competition. So I distill it down for them. When I go to a competition, uh, I, I need to get my bearings. And if I'm taking photos, particularly the three-day event, I need to find the right fence that will show people what an amazing sport it is because there are, I'm sure you see many good pictures of uh, three-day fences where you think, gosh, can the horse make it over that? So, you know, I have to go out and find that. And uh, in the jumper classes, I have to be at the right spot in the ring to get a, a shot that means something. The same with the dressage. And dressage is difficult because you cannot portray the horse at less than its best. People get very upset. So if they're doing passage and one leg is a little bit higher than the other leg, oh, and that's the same with the hunters, the, the, the legs have to be even as they go over the fence. So you take a lot of pictures. I mean, like at a typical competition, I'll take hundreds, if not thousands of pictures. And then Afterwards, depending on deadlines, if I'm working for a publication that wants media coverage, I have to sit down and crop the pictures and make sure the color is okay and send them out and then write a story. So it's not only the day of the show, uh, what I do, it's into the night and sometimes into the next morning. Well, it sounds like, especially on those tight turnarounds, that's grueling. But it sounds like, too, you have kind of a nice balance because you get to spend time, you know, at the event, in the field, you know, in person doing fun things, experiencing them firsthand. But you also have, of course, computer time, you know, editing the photos, writing the stories, making sure those conversations happen. So would you say there's some fair balance there? 
Yeah, I think I spend more time in front of the computer than I do in front of a jump, but because uh, there's so much to do. And it depends on the demands of, of whoever I'm working for. If somebody wants a lot of pictures, then that's a lot of time. If they just want a short story in one picture, that's something different. And then sure. they can go out and get something to eat or take a nap or do whatever after I finish. Can you give us just like a short list of some of the publications that you've written for? Oh, gosh. Um, Linnea Peak, which is the equestrian yearbook, which did not come out for 2020 since there were so few equestrian events. Horse and Hound in Great Britain. Practical Horseman, of course, which is one of my mainstays. Equus. Um, dressage Today. Horse Sport. Uh, which is Canadian website, but people from all over the world look at it. I, I'm just trying to think there are so many that I've done. And also I do books. Um, my latest book, which is called Riding for the Team, uh, came out through the U.S. equestrian team. And it is a compendium of stories of people who won medals at various events under the international banner of the U.S. Equestrian Team Foundation and the U.S. Equestrian Federation. So it's all the big names that you've heard of. Laura Graves and uh, in the in the dressage world and in show jumping, of course, McLean Ward and um in eventing Boyd Martin, who is one of my favorites. He's always outspoken. He has some great stories. We have to edit his story down because there's stuff in there you could not put in a book. You know? <laughs> and and so that, that was a very rewarding project. And we did that um, with an eye toward having it come out right before the Olympics. So it uh, was published in the fall of 2019 and we were all set to promote it and we did uh, autograph parties and things of that nature and then no Olympics last year. Oh man, yes. Yeah, but, but now, you know, we can promote it for the Olympics this year but of course there's a question as to whether they'll be held. Sure. Still. Fingers crossed. Everybody hold your breath and yep. positive thoughts. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow, what a star-studded list. Oh my goodness, you have written for the best of the best and written about the best of the best. That's amazing. Well, it's been a very, very rewarding career. So I look back on it, uh, I think, gosh, I was privileged to do all the things that I did cover so many Olympics, you know, all the way from China uh, to Australia, everything in between. But my favorite was actually the 1984 Olympics in Los Angeles. It's just there was such a great patriotic feeling there and it was beautifully put on. So that was that was fun, even even though I didn't travel outside of the country for that. That's cool. And probably an unexpected answer. You know, you've been everywhere. Uh, you've seen all these huge shows all over the world. And just knowing that that big show here right in our home, our hometown, home country, <laughs> uh -huh. is the one that gives you the most goosebumps. That's awesome. Yeah, it, it. I just have the best memories from that. And everything was uh, exciting because they had sort of a new approach there. It was really the transition from the old-fashioned Olympics to a new, brighter, uh, younger kind of thing. Uh, at the closing ceremonies, they had breakdancing. And I still remember the lead from my story about the closing ceremonies was something like, it was a great night for brotherhood and breakdancing. And I had no idea at the time that breakdancing would actually become a quote-unquote sport, and they're going to be having it at uh, the 2024 Paris Olympics. That is amazing. Literally writing about and living through history right there. That's yeah, what that is. yeah. <laughs> Very cool. And the horses were the gateway. So we love that even more. That's awesome. The, horse, the horses are always the gateway. And when I think of the things that I've done and experienced and learned through horses, it's uh, pretty amazing. You wouldn't have thought about it. Beginner lessons is an up downer. I mean, if you told me what I was going to be doing and that the horse would be the link, as you say, I would have not believed you. 
<laughs> Do you have a common misconception that people may have about being a photojournalist and working in the role that you do? And can we bust it? I think people don't realize how hard it is. I mean, you're out there in the rain. I have loads of pictures of myself drenched and you're out there in the heat. and You're out there in the cold. Not so much the cold, but a lot of times I can remember um, a few nights in Florida, of all places, at the Winter Equestrian Festival. Everybody in the stands was wearing parkas. And I was out there in a polo shirt, the same shirt I'd been wearing all day. And, you know, it was down to about, I don't know, probably below 40. And I was standing there shooting and I couldn't leave and I couldn't get a jacket because... I, I couldn't miss a horse. So, you know, it, it sounds pretty glamorous from the outside, but in the inside, it's a lot of hard work and people should not go into this field unless they are really willing to work the long hours for not much pay and uh, not always have people be grateful about what you write or what you photograph. You know, and particularly horse owners, as I was saying about the dressage, you know, don't run a picture of a horse whose legs aren't even or, you know, if there's something slightly wrong or the angle isn't quite right, you know, and you get critiques from armchair experts who say, oh, you know, that horse doesn't have its hind end under it and uh, that horse looks unhappy. Oh, yeah, horse looks unhappy. Right. Okay. You talk to the horse and you know that. <laughs> so that's, you have to be willing to take criticism and respond or not, as the case may be, but you can't lose your own equilibrium over it. I mean, it's just a testament to you have to know your craft, uh, right? Which is taking beautiful pictures and writing words that make sense to all and tell the truth. But you also have to know the sport inside and out. There's so much that goes into it and you have to have the eye for it. I know that I, I that would make me nervous. I don't know if I could do it, but you have clearly mastered that as well. Well, the other thing is you can't be afraid to ask questions. I just was doing a story about something yesterday and it was unclear to me a, a technical aspect of something about three-day eventing. So I immediately contacted uh, the director of sport for the U.S. Equestrian Federation, Will Connell, who was always extremely helpful. And I said, I don't really understand this. Is this, you know, what does this mean? And uh, he wrote back and clarified it, which helped make sure that my story was accurate. Because when people read what you write, they want to be able to take it to the bank, so to speak. They don't want you to say, well, maybe it's this or maybe it's that or worse to give wrong information because that can snowball in a bad direction. Sure. Yeah, no joke. Well, that's a lot to take in. Um, it's a, a lot of crafts, a lot of different ways to make sure that you are on top of everything. What was your journey, like your education through to today? How did you get to where you are now? Oh, gosh, that's that's a long story. Uh, well, I always rode, you know, as, as a kid and then growing up. And I had wanted to be a sports reporter. And at the time that I was going to school, there were no female sports reporters. Um, I worked for the paper at my school at the University of Colorado where I got my bachelor's and uh, they let me do interviews with sports figures, you know, the big football stars and basketball stars and whatever. They didn't let me really cover games because that just wasn't done. I wrote for several newspapers, um, sports type columns. I remember one was called A Woman's Place, where I interviewed the wives of the various football players, basketball wow. players, etc. And uh, But, you know, one of the people I interviewed for that was Kathy Kuzner, you know, from the U.S. equestrian team, right as she got her license to be a jockey. She was the first female licensed jockey. So I got to sneak the horses in there a little bit. And then uh, I went to work for the Star Ledger in New Jersey, where I spent most of my career. And we had a wonderful editor there named Mort Pye. And he also wasn't real interested in having a female sports reporter, but he was interested in equestrian. His son rode, and uh, he liked the idea of uh, all the different sports and how people were involved and that men and women both competed. So we started a column called New Jersey Horse Shows, and I just covered the shows in New Jersey. And that quickly more 
forth to horse shows around the country. And then through his generosity and because it seemed to work well for the paper, uh, I went around the world and, and covered horse sports. After I left the paper, I decided to freelance. I'd been freelancing on the side for quite some time, but I decided to make it a full-time job. And uh, that's what I'm doing now. Wow. That is quite the journey. I can't believe uh, the name of that column <laughs> back in the day. And now see where you are and the people and the women that you get to write about and the horses. Very cool journey. Yeah, it, it was. And uh, I've learned so much along the way. You know, OK, so I have a master's degree in communications. I, I, I was all right. I'm glad I did it. But where I really learned was on the job and through all the people I met and the experiences that I had. And I think a lot of people find that, you know, academics is fine, but you have to get out in the world to really understand what's happening in whatever field you're in. Absolutely. I'm curious uh, where your photography skills came in. Uh, did you take a class or did you, is that one of the things you picked up on the road too? You know, um, I did take a class or two, but basically I just learned as I went along. And of course, as equipment improved, my skills improved. I look at some of my early pictures and I'm like, oh, that isn't the right <laughs> spot to take a picture of a horse over a fence. You learn by doing and by talking to other photographers and by reading things. And now there are so many courses online. So if I ever feel like I need a brush up, I can just go right to my computer and ask a question or see if there's something that I can do to improve my technique. I'm not a full-time photographer the way some of the really great ones in the sport are, like Sue Stickle, who does dressage, and Shannon Brinkman, who does eventing. But mm -hmm. I think I do serviceably um, to illustrate my stories. Yeah, definitely. Well, pictures worth a thousand words, right? So you've got Absolutely. to have that piece of it too. <laughs> yep, yep, you do. Did you set goals for yourself in your career, like as you went along? And, you know, did you have aspirations for certain time frames or points in your life? I, I really wanted to be a sports reporter. And it, it just it didn't work out. Um, I remember I did get to cover the playoffs uh, before the Super Bowl many, many years ago when Joe Namath was playing. I got to interview Joe Namath. And um, I went into the press box at, I think it was the Orange Bowl. And I was carrying my little typewriter because there weren't computers then. And I was all set to sit down. And a, another reporter, male reporter, came up to the man who ran the press box and he said, what's she doing here? And the press box guy said, she's a reporter. She's writing up the game. And the man said, well, if she stays, I go. I'll never forget this press box guy. He looked the fellow right in the eye and he said, then you can leave. It was wow. pretty, it was pretty terrific. Oh my goodness. But I, you know, it, I couldn't, I, I really couldn't have imagined covering international horse sports because very, very few people, you know, when I was starting out did something like that. Um, you know, Horse and Hound and the Chronicle. And basically that was about it, some European publications. So I could never have pictured how things would evolve. And of course, we couldn't imagine with social media and the computers and everything that we can do today, how far our reach can spread. Yeah, definitely. And you've seen the whole evolution, which is so yes. cool and mastered it. <laughs> Well, you know, I <laughs> I asked you before we started, I asked you a question about doing something on Facebook. So, you know, there's still some holes in my ability to get things done here. <laughs> We're always learning. Um, and it seems like social media especially is ever changing. So <laughs> you're always ready to learn, though. And that is that's all that matters. Absolutely. And, and I think that's one very important thing. If you're going to cover horse sports because they're constantly changing, there's so much going on with it. I used to know everybody in, in the U.S. Equestrian Federation, then the American Horse Shows Association. I knew what they did. I knew the rules. I knew everything. And now it is just morphed beyond anything that one person can know. It's been very encouraging to see the way it's expanded, but it's also a little scary to think that you can't have your finger on the pulse of everything anymore. 
Definitely daunting. As our industry grows, which is a wonderful thing for all of us, um, there's more There's more to know, there's more to cover, there's more to figure out. I hear you. <laughs> I absolutely hear you. <laughs> Do you have any professional goals for your future? Like looking ahead, is there anything that you're looking forward to or that you want to achieve still? I think I'd like to do a few more books. I did one book, one of my favorites, uh, with Debbie McDonald, who's now the uh, dressage coach for the U.S. It was called Riding Through, and it was a how-to book that was combined with her biography, which was she had a very interesting life and how she got to where she was, riding in the Olympics from a little girl, you know, who could barely afford to have a pony. Uh, and that's sort of inspirational for all of us. So I really enjoyed that and getting to know Debbie. And it's very interesting, just a little side note. Uh, I went to Idaho, which is where Debbie was living to work on the book. And uh, she at that time had a young working student named Adrian Lyle. And uh, Adrian was lovely. And I could see that she had a great future ahead of her. But I never dreamed that when I was at the 2012 Olympics, Adrian would be riding there. So it's kind of neat to have known Adrian. And she's one of the favorites for our Olympic team if we go to Tokyo this summer. Yes. Oh, that is amazing. Go, Adrian. Everybody's uh, fingers crossed for Tokyo. Hold our breath and make sure that all goes through and that she can go and represent us for sure. Exactly. Yeah. She's she's a wonderful person. But it's neat to have known her, you know, from the start. And that's one of the great things. When you're around for a long time, you have a history with people. And that means a lot. Yes, definitely. Absolutely. Well, you've given us some great advice, little nuggets kind of along the way. um, But I know that you have a lot to share with us. Well, what is one thing that you wish you had known when you began your career? I wish I had taken advantage of spending more time with some of the elderly people in the sport uh, and getting their stories because some of them uh, went back to the cavalry when the U.S. had show jumping teams. And I knew them and I know a little bit of their stories. But boy, I would have done a whole lot more because so, so much of what they thought and did is lost to history now. And I I really regret that. I think if I had paid a little bit more attention, I would have realized the value of everything that they said. Definitely. And had those stories then in your own words to go forward and and live on for, you know, the next generation and generation after that. Yeah, exactly. I got, I got some of it, but I should have been smart enough to realize that if what I got was good, more would have been better. Sure. What advice do you have for someone who's looking to pursue a career like yours? It's very difficult. Um, Media has changed so much and there are so many people in it and the pay is not good at all. So if you're looking to earn a a comfortable living, the odds are against you uh, unless you get into social media or uh, have your own public relations agency. But that's a very crowded field, too. And it really has amazed me the growth of the equestrian public relations agencies. There were originally very few people who did that. Now one seems to be popping up every few days. Uh, So I would say that you better be really dedicated and you better find an angle. If you're inventive and you're original and you're a hard worker, probably something will come up where you can find that you fit in. But just to go out there and think, oh, you know, I want to write about horse sports. That's not enough. You really have to focus on what would be valuable so you can earn a living. Definitely true. And knowing uh, what, you, what you know, right? And what you love and what you can be uh, the specialist in, be right. the master of. Right. But you have, it has to be more than what you love and what you can do. As I say, these days, I think you have to have an angle or you have to have a big connection. For instance, if you are friendly with people in various companies that sponsor horse sports, there's a lot you can do with that. Um, if you, there are a couple of riders that you're very friendly with, you can represent them. So you have to put it all the pieces together. And it's not just like the old days where you'd say, Oh, I'm going to work for a magazine and that's it. And they'll assign me and I'll get paid. And you know, that'll be it. You have to do, there have to be a lot of strings to your bow, as they say. 
Absolutely. Don't be afraid to ask those questions and get out there and meet the people, right? Make the connections. And network, 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 network. You know, if somebody gives you some time, write them a nice note and say, I really enjoyed our conversation. It doesn't have to be a long letter, but you should acknowledge the fact that they took time out for you. And then when you call on them again, they want to say, oh, you know, she didn't even care. You know, I spent all this time with her. She didn't do anything with it or, you know, she just took it granted people like to be like to feel that they're special and that you appreciate them absolutely golden advice there for not just the horse industry but anyone (laughs) anyone in the professional space take that and run with it yeah you're exactly right well you've worked with many different equine industry professionals all across the industry from um, every event you've gone to to the media side so i'd love to know in your own words what does it mean to you to be an equine industry professional well, I mean, horses are my life in one way or another. So it's what I do. It's just, you know, they, people often ask, you see on some of these silly TV shows, uh, you know, quick a word that, that identifies you. You know, I'm, uh, I'm from France or I'm uh, Roger's wife or uh, I have a business uh, decorating ceramics, something like that. And the only thing I can think of when people say, you know, a word that that identifies you as horses, my connection with horses and the horse industry. Amen, sister. (laughs) I think we all can definitely relate to that. Uh, There's nothing that's more encompassing for what I love, what I do, you know, what we, so many of us do and love is than horses. Well, let's talk about horses. I know that you used to ride and compete yourself. If you still do, you've got horses. I want to hear about them. So tell us about the horses that have been in your life. Well, uh, I've had all kinds of horses, you know, from backyard horses to uh, jumpers. And um, I was just thinking about one of my favorite jumpers. He's a horse named Chenonceau, named after a castle in France. And we actually got to see the castle, which was pretty neat. Um, Yeah. But um, I won a trophy at the Chester Rotary Show, which was a big deal for us out here in New Jersey. And I was very excited. I remember I was invited to dinner afterwards and I took the trophy with me and put it on the table because I'd never won anything like that. And it was a beautiful silver bowl. It was a challenge trophy. So you had to win it three times. And I think I I did not go in that show again after after the year that I won it. Uh, But uh, Mary Chappell, who'd been on the U.S. equestrian team, who was married to Frank Chappell and the mother of Wendy and Laura Chappell, uh, did compete there. And uh, she won it a few times. And one time when I was at the Chappell's house, I saw my trophy. You know, I saw oh. my name engraved on it and I saw it on the table and I thought, oh, they had so many trophies. They had, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of trophies. And I'd only had that one trophy. And I hate to say it, but I felt a little sad. <laughs> but your name's on it and it lives on proof that you won exactly, it. Exactly. Exactly. And hopefully they put a flower arrangement in it or something like that. And so that, that was fun doing the jumpers. And I also did hunter paces and uh, a little bit of eventing and a little bit of dressage, all of which has helped me in trying to understand what the people I write about do. I mean, obviously it was never even close to their level, but you know, it, it gave me an idea of the mechanics and the heartbreak and the triumphs and all of that and on a smaller scale. And I still have a horse, but I have absolutely no time to do anything. I, I barely have time to ride. And in the winter, we don't have an indoor ring at the barn where I am. So, you know, I really just go to the barn, groom him and, uh, maybe lunge him once in a while. That's about it. In the summer, I try and ride more, try and get out just on the trails if I can a little bit. But when I travel a lot, although I haven't been traveling as much with COVID, of course, right. uh, you know, it's really hard to spend time with a horse. It's, you know, it's a huge responsibility and he gets very good care. Uh, and I, I check on him, even if I just go there for half an hour and make sure everything's okay and groom him and 
check everything. It's still a little bit time consuming, but I love it. It keeps me in touch. It's my anchor for what I do when I deal with people that are in the stratosphere of the horse world. I'm on the ground floor. I love that. That's that's perfect. And hey, even 30 minutes is barn therapy, right? That's what I like to call it. So it's good for the soul. Absolutely. I know that you have a ton of stories um, from your own experiences, as well as from your experiences on the road with your career. Um, But I wonder if you can share your most memorable moment with horses. Boy, that is just so tough because really my most memorable moments aren't mine, except for winning that one trophy. They belong to other people. You know, it was seeing the U.S. team uh, do so well. Again, I'm going back to the Los Angeles Olympics to see the U.S. team win gold in the show jumping and in the eventing was just, it was, it was great because I knew everybody on those teams and it was at home and there was a huge crowd. And it just is something that I keep going back to in my mind. And every time I see a photo uh, of it, it takes me back to Santa Anita where it was held and uh, all those, those moments of of real glory. Um, I think that um, the one moment that I'll never forget was sort of a weird one was uh, in 1987, the World Cup finals were held in Paris for the first time. And uh, I was used to get very dressed up to go to these things, and I was wearing high heels. And I walked into the arena uh, for a preliminary course walk. It was it was really before the event began. I guess we were just scouting the arena, and my heels sank into the pudding, and I couldn't oh, get no. them out. Oh, it was no. really funny. So I wound up having to step out of them, yank them out of the pudding, and it turned out there was a huge problem with the pudding, uh, as I experienced firsthand. And actually, they had to delay the start uh, for a day, and there were all sorts of questions from the riders that aimed at the course designer. And, uh, you know, they were all speaking French very loud, and they were very angry. And of course, I don't understand French, so it was, it was illuminating, I have to say. But, you know, that was 87, so after that, footing became, not because of that, but just the way things evolved, footing became much more important. And now you can't have a show unless the footing is top grade. People just won't come. Absolutely. Well, and you got to experience that firsthand. That's so funny. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, you know, another event that was lots of fun um, was going to Hong Kong. Uh, during the Beijing Olympics, uh, horses could not compete in mainland China because of some sort of disease. I can't remember what it was now. So they had all the equestrian uh, portion at a racetrack in Hong Kong. And the ring was beautiful. And you, they had the show jumping at night because it was so hot there during the day, so hot and humid. It wasn't much cooler at night, but a little bit. And the horses were competing against the backdrop. You could see the skyline and the lights. It was just amazing. So now every time I hear of the terrible things that are going on in Hong Kong, it breaks my heart because the people were wonderful. The city was fantastic. And, you know, it was such a privilege to be there. It was so unusual and so exotic. That sounds magical. Just hearing you describe like the twinkling lights behind the horses and competing like that. That sounds so, so wonderful. Yeah. And another and another great Olympics was Sydney uh, in 2000 in Australia, because really Australia is so fun. And I love seeing all the different animals and all the different birds and things of that nature, in addition to, to the horses, of course, and seeing David O'Connor, with whom I'm very friendly, win the individual gold medal in eventing and carry the American flag around the ring during his victory gallop. That was just a fabulous thing. Oh, can you just put me in your suitcase and take me with you? <laughs> My suitcase is so heavy and people always laugh at me because I walk around with an enormous bag full of cameras and computers and, and all of that. But you know what? Those are the tools of the trade and you need them. Absolutely. You can't do it without it. So you've got to take it with, but just maybe roll another one alongside and I'll be in it. <laughs> Don't mind me. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> Actually, if you want to come and carry the cameras, that would be a big help. There we go. Yeah, put me to work. Bad. <laughs> oh, Nancy, it has been delightful getting to talk to you and hear your stories. Um, I am very positive that we could talk for a very long time, and you could just talk my ear off about all the things that you've done and seen. And I would just gladly, you know, with stars in my eyes, listen. <laughs> so thank you so very much for coming on the show and for for sharing all these with us. I know the audience is going to want to connect with you and check out all of the things that you have done and written and seen and been to. Um, so where's the best place that our listeners can connect with you? Probably my website, which is www.nancyjaffer.com. Uh, a lot of it is New Jersey because I still am um, based in New Jersey, but I do things from all over the world. So uh, take a look and see what you think. Well, and just to wrap it up, can you leave us with something to think about, your favorite quote, something for everyone to dwell upon as they listen to this episode and think back on our conversation with you, Nancy? Well, it's a new favorite quote, and I have to, it takes some explanation, but the quote is, you can only eat so much snake. Okay, well, I have to explain it. Yes, please uh, do. <laughs> uh, I was watching something on television about a man who hunts pythons in the Everglades. The pythons have taken over the Everglades. They've eaten all the small animals, and they are a real pest. So he earns a living by killing the snakes, and he eats them too, he, he said. But he was being interviewed, and uh, he showed the interviewer the head of a snake that he captured. And the interviewer said, did you eat that snake too? And the man said, you can only eat so much snake. And I, I thought about that. I love the way he said it. He was a real character. But to me, uh, it says, don't overdo. Uh, don't push too hard. Keep things in moderation. I love that. There's so much wisdom in that um, and so many ways that you can take it and apply it to your own life. So that is a perfect way to end the episode. Terrific. Thanks for writing along. Know someone that would be great to interview? Have questions you'd like answered on the podcast? Send me an email at beyondthesaddlepodcast at gmail.com or join the conversation on social media. You can connect with us and learn more about the Beyond the Saddle podcast by following us on Facebook and Instagram at Beyond the Saddle Podcast. Find more episodes anywhere that you get your podcasts, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and more. Beyond the Saddle is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of Equine Network, LLC. 